Well, good evening. It's a really weird thing to say, uh, but I love Good Friday. Um, I'm so happy that you guys came tonight and uh, that we get to share this evening together. Um, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, those are words that Bill prayed and that Jesus spoke um, as he instituted the, the Lord's Supper. And um, tonight, that's what we're going to do. Tonight, we're going to come together and we're going to remember Jesus. Um, kind of changing things a little bit. I grabbed a seat because um, I just kind of want to tell the story. Tell the story of Good Friday. Uh, maybe you've heard it thousands of times. Maybe this is the first time you've heard it. Uh, but we can never tell it enough. And um, I'll, I'll throw, some, throw some of my own thoughts in here and there, but um, it doesn't need to be uh, interpreted. It doesn't need to be added to. Uh, the story of Jesus uh, is what changes lives. <laughs> And that's, uh, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. Um, I, what I tried to do a little was take uh, from each of the four Gospels and try to bring them together. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each tell the story of Good Friday and, and what happened. Uh, my mom is here tonight. She's a teacher. I was uh, talking to her the other day. I said, uh, you know, if there were some kids out at recess and something happened and they, four of them came in to tell you the story of what happened out at recess. How many different stories do you think you would get? She was like, eh, four kids, probably six. Six different stories. <laughs> um, and we have uh, four different people who are telling the story of Good Friday, and they each come at it from their own perspectives, from their own experiences. And so um, we get to see uh, little bits here and there. Um, I don't have the verses for you up on the screen because, man, there's a lot of them. <laughs> so uh, if you're looking for them, you can find them in Matthew, especially chapters 26 and 27, and Luke chapter 22, and um, Mark, I believe, is in... Uh, 16 and 17 and John 18 um, all around there and uh, I really encourage you when you go home tonight to take a few minutes and uh, just read just read the story and um, and and reflect on it uh, so as uh, Pastor Creaney mentioned we're going to try to pick up you know uh, maybe you've seen the television show 24 you know these events happen in real time well it won't be uh, real time necessarily but we're trying to pick up in order. So um, on Holy Thursday, and, and Bill just went through the Lord's Supper, um, we're going to pick up from there. Um, and it's Thursday evening, and the Lord's Supper has been instituted. They've celebrated Passover together. Um, and as, as we heard, they go up to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus is telling uh, the disciples, you will all fall away from me this night, and that this will fulfill a prophecy. And that's going to be a theme that we see throughout the evening. There'll be a couple different themes that we'll see. One of them is going to be um, the fulfilling of prophecy. Um, at every turn, you see that these things that happen fulfilled prophecies for the Messiah that were spoken of in the Old Testament. Another thing that you'll see, which you pick up on when you read, is just how quick everything happened. And that was a theme in Jesus' life, certainly. But uh, where we go from celebrating the Passover... At the, at the Last Supper, 
and then within a day, just how much has changed. Um, and you can look even back the previous week um, on Palm Sunday when all the people were cheering, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then you look at Jesus' public ministry, which was three years. All these, whether or not you're a Christian, whether or not you believe that Jesus was the Messiah, you, can, you can't, um, you have to agree that this man, Jesus, had a huge impact on the world. 2,000 years later, millions of people, billions of people probably, are uh, associated with him. Um, and his public ministry was only three years long. Three years, the impact uh, that was made. So Jesus' life, things just happened quickly. And that's another thing that you'll see today in the Good Friday story, that things happen quickly. And, um, and also, you'll see uh, mocking. Just the mocking of the Savior. And sometimes it's intentional and outward, and other times people don't even realize it. <laughs> um, but so much mocking. But as he comes here, he tells, um, Jesus tells his disciples that you will all fall away from me this night and that this will fulfill a prophecy. And Peter gives his famous response, like Bill was saying, that even if all these other guys fall away, not me. I'm not going to fall away. I'll be here. You can count on me, Jesus. I surely will not fall away. And Jesus tells him, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter even rebukes him. He says, even if I must die, I'm not going to deny you. Um, and all the disciples agreed with him. What I want you to notice is in uh, Luke in chapter 22, Jesus, he knew that Peter was going to need encouragement because he already told him that you're going to fall away, that you're going to deny me. So he knew that was going to happen. Jesus knew that afterwards Peter was going to need encouragement. He was going to be broken. Jesus says to him, even in this moment, he says, I pray for you. I prayed for you, okay? You will turn back to me, and your brothers will need you. He's saying, I know that you can't see this, but you're going to deny me, and I still love you. I prayed for you. Your brothers are going to need you. Just remember this. Jesus is preparing himself and those around him for this difficult time. He knows that they're going to fall away, and yet they're telling him that they'll be there for him. Uh, I remember when I was uh, young, I was about 10 years old, my family and I were taking a family vacation down to Disney. Wow, I was excited. Uh, so we were going to drive, though, because that's what you do. You know, you drive the 30 hours down to Florida. So uh, we get in the car, and... Uh, I, it was about 10 o'clock, and my dad used to drive a tour bus for a living, so he was used to driving uh, through the evening. And uh, It was about 10 o'clock, and I'm 10 years old, and my mom and my brother, who could drive, were sitting in the back because my dad was going to pull the overnight, uh, the overnight drive. So I sat up front, and I said, Dad, don't worry. I'll keep you awake. And he's like, all right, it's your job to keep me awake, Okay. Now, we live in Swansea at the time, and um, we didn't even make it to Route 195. And I was face up against the window, probably drooling or something. I was out, okay? I told my father, you can count on me. I'll be there for you. But he knew that he couldn't. Um, and Jesus, as he's going through this, uh, all these people are saying, I'll be there for you. I'll be there. And, he's, and he knows, I'm not going to be able to count on you. I know that. Um, but still, he finds it in himself to encourage them 
and prepare them for what's about to come. Uh, he's been doing this for a while now, but, but it's with more urgency. And in Luke twenty-two thirty-five, 35, we see, uh, he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Jesus spent the whole night aware of the prophecies that need to be fulfilled. And he's sharing with them, we have to do this because of the prophecies that have to be fulfilled. Have you ever felt the burden of expectation? Hmm. Sometimes it's tough when you know that people are expecting something from you. Well, Jesus had to feel that burden of expectation. All these prophecies that had to be fulfilled. But throughout it, he doesn't fold under that pressure. He doesn't fold under that knowledge of the pain and the suffering that were to come. It says that they went out, and this is what Joe read, uh, excuse me, what uh, Bill read before. Uh, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and that uh, Jesus prayed, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying, and he takes Peter and James and John with him, the three guys that are closest to him, and he says, I'm troubled and I'm sorrowful. Please pray for me. Um, he wants him to be there for him. He begins praying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. In another, um, in, in Mark, I believe it says, um, Abba, Father. The way it seems to me is he's saying, Dad, are we sure that this is the only way? If it be possible, let this cup, are we sure that this is it? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He looks over at the, at the disciples and he knows that his time is coming and he's struggling. Everything that they've worked for, this is the culmination of everything he's worked for and them in turn, and they're sleeping. And he knows that it is a lonely road that he'll travel today. Um, three times this happens. It says that an angel from heaven came to help him and strengthen him. Now to me, I feel like if an angel came to help me, all right, this is, you know, we got the big guns now, you know, the, the angel is coming. And it says right after that, in being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Even with the help of an angel coming to strengthen him, his prayer was still so severe and his sorrow was, was so much that he was praying and drops of blood were coming off of him. Uh, there's a passage in the book of Job. Uh, if you know anything about the book of Job, most of the book is Job having discussions with, uh, with some of his friends about these terrible things that have happened to him. And um, Job is 42 chapters long, and right at the beginning we see God and 
uh, and Satan having a conversation, but for the most part, it's, it's Job and his friends. And it isn't until chapter 38 that God comes. And it says, God answers Job out of a whirlwind and says, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. This is terrifying to me. God approaches Job and says, put on your big boy pants, we're about to do this, right? Now that's, that's kind of scary. Um, to me, I see that Jesus in the garden is stealing himself for, about, for what's about to happen. He's dressing for action like a man. He's praying and he's trying to get ready for what he knows will be a, a, a difficult day. And the loneliness of what he's about to endure is becoming clear to him. Jesus says, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. At this moment, Judas came with the crowd. And he had told the chief priests and elders when they had concocted this plan that Bill had mentioned that I'm, I'm going to kiss the man who is Jesus and, he, uh, and that they should seize him. And uh, greetings, Rabbi, Judas says. Jesus replies, friend, do what you came to do. In John 18, 4, it says, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. So they grabbed Jesus, and Peter takes out his sword, and he strikes the servant, Malchus, uh, of one of the high priests, and he cuts his ear off. And Jesus says, put your sword away. Don't you know that I could ask my father to send legions of angels? But how am I supposed to fulfill the scriptures? These words play in my mind as I read throughout the day. Don't you know that I could ask my father to send legions of angels? Don't you know that I could get out of this if I wanted to? But I'm here because I love you. He healed the man's ear he knew his purpose, and he asks this crowd of people with swords and clubs, why do you come upon me like this? I've been preaching in the temple, and you didn't seize me. All this has happened to fulfill the scriptures. He's saying, I've been here all week. I've been preaching all week, and you wait until the middle of the night to come and get me with clubs like I'm a robber? And he'd said this so that people would see what was going on. He wanted to shed light on the situation to shed light on what they were doing. In today's vernacular, he might have said to the elders, this is fake news. This is fake news, right? You're making this up. I haven't been in secret. I've been out in the temple preaching. In John 18, he goes before the high priest Annas, and he questions him about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answers, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? 
Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Right? This is that mocking that I was talking about that they don't even realize that they're doing. They don't even realize that they're mocking him by saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? This is Jesus. He'll answer anybody any way that he wants to. <laughs> Jesus answered, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So Jesus is brought before Caiaphas, the high priest, and the scribes and the elders. And there was a pretty pathetic attempt to set Jesus up. Uh, they got some false testimony and Anybody that they could get, uh, false witnesses came forward, but they were unable to find anybody who could give them a reason to crucify him. They, need, they knew they needed to get him in some way, so finally they asked him if he was the Christ. He says, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Everyone's putting their cards on the table now. The priests are asking, are you the Christ? And he's saying, you've said so. I'm the son of man. You'll see me seated on the, cloud, on the clouds. Uh, excuse me, seated at the right hand of power. Um, there's no more uh, don't tell people what you've seen here. Right? Jesus has said that a couple times throughout his ministry. There's no more um, go and be quiet. It's not my time. There's no more of that. It is his time. And he's putting his cards on the table. The high priest knew that he claimed to be the Messiah. Jesus admits it, and he said they should be put, excuse me, and they say he should be put to death because of his claim. Now, the thing that stinks for the high priests is every other time in history, they would have been right. <laughs> if anybody else had made that claim, they should have been dealt with. Um, but unfortunately for them, he was the Messiah. And fortunately for us. He was the one person in history that could make that claim under the law. And immediately they mock him and beat him. Now while this is happening inside, Peter is out in the courtyard. Uh, and, you know, Peter, you know, I'll die for you, Peter, is out there. And this little girl asks him, uh, a servant girl, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he kind of ran away. And another servant girl says, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter replies, I don't know that man. Others came to Peter saying, I know by your accent that you're one of them. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. This most likely means that he called upon God's wrath to strike him if he was lying. Immediately, the rooster crowed. One of the most disheartening sounds, probably, <laughs> uh, in history. Um, Peter knew what happened, and he wept bitterly. Now remember, Jesus, had, had, he knew that this would all happen. He told him he prayed for him. But I also want you to remember that Peter was one of the three closest disciples to Jesus, and he was restored by Jesus after his resurrection. Peter, the man who 
God said, or that Jesus said, is the rock upon who my church will be built. Peter, who wrote two books of the Bible, right? Let's be encouraged when we fall. Let's be encouraged that God will use us, that God will forgive us. The Friday morning came and the chief priests and the elders officially decide to give him to Pilate to be put to death. And now uh, Pilate is the governor and uh, he cuts to the chase and he asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replies, you've said so, which is kind of a Greek uh, expression, excuse me, that deflects it back to the questioner. And Pilate says, you have so many people testifying against you. Aren't you going to say anything? He's amazed that Jesus won't defend himself. And so he enters, Pilate enters his headquarters again, and this is from John 18, 33, and he says, um, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say this to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. The priests had been putting forth false testimony. They had been telling Pilate all these things about Jesus, that he would forbid giving unto Caesar what was Caesar's, that he um, was trying to be a king, which they knew would kind of pique Pilate's interest because you, you can't try to take the place of Caesar. Uh, they tell Pilate, hey, he's causing all these riots. You better take care of him because he's going to make trouble for you. They they knew that they had to say the things that would kind of get Pilate's ear. Now, you might ask, uh, why didn't the Jews just kill him himself, themselves? Excuse me. Why didn't they just take care of the problem? Well, in fact, Pilate suggests this as well. In John 18, 31, it says, you know, Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And in verse 32, it says, This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Uh, the crucifixion was a Roman punishment. The Jews weren't going to crucify somebody. And the prophecies had already said that the Messiah would be crucified. So again, to fulfill these prophecies, even these things in the background, all the bringing him before Pilate and having to get Pilate to do it, this was all stuff that God was, was working out um, and in a strange way, these, the, you know, the ch chief priests and the scribes and the elders, these men who considered themselves the keepers of, of God, the keepers of his word, the keepers of uh, the religion, they were unwittingly playing the villains. They didn't even know it, but they were taking part in, uh, in all these prophecies. At this point, Pilate learns that Jesus is from Galilee, and he says, Great. I'm going to send you over to Herod, and he can handle this. So they send him to Herod, and uh, Herod rules in Galilee, and he's excited to see him because he has heard of all the wonderful works that Jesus has done. 
he treated him like a Vegas magician. When Jesus wouldn't do any uh, tricks for him, he got aggravated. Again, not even aware that they're mocking him, the Messiah, the Christ. He didn't perform for Herod, and, and Herod simply mocked him along with his soldiers. And then he used him to send clothes of splendor back to Pilate and advance his, his political career. See, Pilate and Herod had been on the outs, and uh, Herod wanted to get back in Pilate's favor. So he dressed up Jesus like a king, sending those clothes back to Pilate. Jesus was used to advance someone's political career on Good Friday. Meanwhile, Judas is having second thoughts. In fact, he's so distraught by what he's done, he tries to give the money back uh, to the chief priests, but, but they won't take it, so he throws it on the ground, and they uh, take the silver and buy the potter's field for a burial place for strangers. Again, this fulfilled the prophet Jeremiah's prophecy about a potter's field being, uh, being bought. And Judas, after leading, leaving them, went and hanged himself. Pilate tells the chief priests and the scribes that both Herod and I feel like Jesus can be punished, you know, for riling up crowds, but he doesn't deserve to be put to death for it. I'll punish him and release it. Well, Pilate, ever the politician, has this, um, has this program in place where he allows, um, allows someone to be forgiven and, uh, and taken away, whoever the crowd chooses, can be taken away and they won't have to face this crucifixion. Um, it's a good way to keep people on his good side. Uh, he seems to think that Jesus doesn't deserve death. Also, his wife had a dream concerning Jesus and told him, listen, you want to stay out of this? You don't want to get your hands dirty with this. So um, Pilate thinks he'll be able to get out of this situation by saying, all right, listen, Jesus or Barabbas, you guys choose which one is allowed to go free. Because Pilate is like, look, this guy didn't do anything really that bad. Obviously, the people are going to choose him. Barabbas, so the, the, you know, Jesus, they might call him an insurrectionist. He's, he's getting people going, riling crowds up. Uh, Barabbas did that too. And on top of that, he was a murderer and a thief. Okay? So Pilate is kind of thinking, all right, they're not going to choose him to let go. Obviously, they're going to choose Jesus. Well, little did he know uh, that the chief priests and the scribes had already convinced the Jews and, uh, and the crowd so much that they say, uh, we want Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. Pilate's like, well, what should I do with Jesus? And they say, let him be crucified. Pilate can't believe it. Why? What evil has he done? Three times Pilate says, I'm not going to kill him for this. But the people keep shouting, crucify him. In John 19, verse 7, it says, The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he had made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. 
Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Another unintentional mocking of Jesus. Don't you know that I have authority over you? This is Jesus. He's saying, all right, listen. You have no authority. You wouldn't have any authority if it hadn't been given to you. I'm here because I want to be here, basically. The crowd's becoming more intense and beginning to riot. Pilate takes water and washes his hands, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Again, Pilate saying, I don't see a reason for this. And the people respond, his blood be on us and on our children. Whew. We know what we're doing. We'll take the responsibility. This Jesus must be dealt with. So Jesus was scourged and delivered to be crucified. That's how it says it in Matthew. It says, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. It's a really simple line, but this is what it means. It means that they beat him. They beat him bad. They took a cat of nine tails, right? A leather whip with bones and metal on the ends of it. And they whipped him. And tore out his skin. Do you know what the purpose was? Do you know why they did that? This is what it says. It says that they, the reason for doing that was to keep him from staying alive longer than they needed him to while he was on the cross. You see, they had it down to a science. Tammy and I just moved into a, a new house, and, um, you know, it's getting to that time of year where you might start to see some ants crawling around. Oh, we saw a few ants, and that was kind of annoying because at the old house we had issues with ants. Maybe it's us. Maybe it's not the houses. <laughs> um, but uh, we kind of have this down to, to science now. Like, we know, all right, this is the stuff that works. This is the stuff that doesn't, you know. Because we've worked on it, we've tried to figure out the, the best way to take care of this problem. Well, the Romans treated Jesus like a pest, like a rodent or an ant. The best, they had the best way, they figured out the best way to kill him. The most effective strategy, the easiest way. We don't need him to stay alive that long on the cross. Let's do what we can beforehand. In Matthew 27, 27, it says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Um, scarlet can sometimes mean uh, red or purple, but very similar to this robe, uh, to this piece of cloth right here. It says, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and they put a reed in his right hand, and that was supposed to signify like a scepter. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. There's about 150 of Pilate's soldiers that were there, simply to mock him. This is a common practice in that day with prisoners. They mock the charge brought against him. Hail the king of the Jews. His words in the garden ring in my ears. 
Don't you know that I could call a legion of angels? I'm here because I want to be here. This was the passion of the Christ. A lot of times, um, you, may, you maybe have heard that term before, and passion, in our world, it's really kind of become more synonymous with like romance and, and things of that nature, but um, really passion has tied along with it suffering. Um, it's suffering out of love. And that's what Jesus did. Uh, they stripped him and they led him away to be crucified. And they go to the place of the skull, Golgotha. Uh, Jesus is unable to carry his own cross because of the severe beating that he's taken. So Simon the Cyrene, uh, we don't really know much about him, but he's there and, and he carries the cross. Um, they give him wine laced with gall. Well, gall is basically like a, a poisonous substance. And when Jesus realizes what it is, he doesn't drink it. Uh, but this is just another form of mockery. Um, the soldiers play games to determine who would get his clothes. Two criminals are crucified there with him. In Luke, we see Jesus say, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things... When the wood is green, what will happen when the hill is dry? In Luke, he also quotes Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the midst of suffering, Jesus found a way to keep the focus on others. If you ask Tammy, she'll tell you, if I have the sniffles, I don't want to be around anybody. Right? Just leave me alone. I'm not much of a whiner. I don't need her to bring me all kinds of stuff. Just don't come near me. That's it. Jesus, in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of being beaten, his focus is on others. His focus is on those around him. There was a sign on the cross, and it said, Jesus, King of the, Dru the Jews. In John 19, 19, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, said to Pilate Don't write the King of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. People walk by saying, if you're the king, the son of God, come down from the cross. They derided him. They wagged their heads at him. Save yourself. The same envious chief priest from before came by and said, well, you know, if you really are the son of God, let's see what you got. Now is your chance to get us to believe in you. Save yourself. In Matthew 27, 43, it says, He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Ugh. How dare they question the relationship between father and son? This is a clear reference to Psalm 22, 8. Um, again, fulfilling prophecy. 
these men who considered themselves to be the keepers of Israel's religious life, again, they were becoming the villains. Mocking, mocking, mocking. And this leads us to noon on Friday. In the span of less than a day, Jesus has been betrayed by one of his disciples. He's been deserted by the rest. He's been falsely accused. People have chosen to free a murderer over him. He's been physically torn to shreds. And now he's been endlessly mocked. Here the criminals on the cross become involved in a conversation. And one of them kind of says what the crowd is saying. Hey, look, if you're the son of God, save us and yourself. And the other rebukes him saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Again, his focus is on those around him. He's able to keep his head about himself. John 19.23 says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier. Also his tunic. Uh, this was to fulfill the scripture which says, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. The soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour... The disciple took her to his own home. He's still caring. He's still caring. As terrible as all this has been, it's about to get worse. Um, from noon to 3 p.m., darkness is over all the land. This had to make some people nervous, right? This was not a normal occurrence. Um, and you have to imagine that the chief priests and the scribes were starting to say, what's going on? At 3 p.m., which historians note is the time of the daily evening sacrifice, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the lowest point of the day for Jesus. Those around him thought he was calling Elijah for help and said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again and yielded his spirit, calling out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In the book of John, we see that Christ said, it is finished. At this time, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This curtain was about 60 feet wide and about 30 feet high. And it symbolized the removal of separation between God and man. The earth shook and the rocks split. The guards saw the earthquake and they said what we say when we are encountered by Jesus. Truly, this was the Son of God. If the scribes and the priests weren't nervous before, they were nervous now. It is finished. Now, our temptation is to read that and say, 
he must be talking about his life. This is the end. Uh, this is where he commits his spirit to God. But spoiler alert, if you come on Sunday, you'll see it's not really the end. Um, but the temptation is to say that that's what he's talking about, it's finished, but no, that's not what's finished. The payment for sin is finished. It is finished. In Tim Keller's sermon, he points out that Buddha's last words are, strive without ceasing. That's kind of a common uh, common thought process, right? Just keep working. Jesus' last words are, don't you dare keep striving. I've done it. I've finished it. I did it for you. Matthew 11, 28 to 30 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You can't work your way to heaven. Jesus says it's done. When we, when we sang before, we didn't sing Jesus paid most of it. We sang Jesus paid it all. All of it. Sometimes we want to try to hold on and we want to say, I, got, I know, but, but I have to do this. No, he paid all of it. It is finished. In John 19, 31, it says, since it was the day of preparation. The day of preparation means that um, the, the high priests would prepare uh, the lamb f- for a sacrifice. I read somewhere that the hill... Um, from the hill on Golgotha, Jesus could probably see where they were preparing the lamb for the sacrifice. And there he was, the lamb being sacrificed. It says, And so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it, this is John who's writing, and and he's talking about himself, has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. And Bill mentioned that before, how in Isaiah it talks about how Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. Friday evening, Joseph, who was a rich man, he was from Arimathea, and a disciple of Jesus, um, asked Pilate for Jesus' body to bury it. And Pilate gave it to him. And we've come to the end of Good Friday, Friday evening. If you came in, you might have seen a sign outside, or maybe you saw some of our handouts that says, uh, Why the Death and Resurrection of Christ Still Matters. Well, 
it all, you know, Good Friday, why does it still matter? It matters because the biggest problem, the, the scribes and Pharisees and the chief priests, their biggest problem is really our biggest problem today. If you came in here tonight, I would venture to say probably your biggest problem is the biggest problem that they had. And their true problem was that they didn't trust Jesus. That was the big problem, right? We talked about it. In Deuteronomy 18, it says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. The, the claims that Jesus was making, if he was lying, if he was wrong, he got what he deserved. It says here that the same prophet will die. That's what the law said in that time. Now, maybe they didn't go about it the right way, or maybe it wasn't, uh, you know, the punishment and the mockery. I won't say that, but if he was lying, if he was wrong, he should have been put to death for what he was claiming. But he wasn't. And they didn't believe him. He says, it is finished. Maybe you came here tonight and you say, you know, I just don't trust Jesus. I don't trust that he was the Messiah. Oh, I pray for you. I pray that God will work in you. I pray that you will speak to someone, that you will speak to God, that you will pray and ask, you know, why? Because we can trust him. He paid for it. It is finished. But maybe you came here tonight and you're a Christian and you say, yeah, I did that. I trusted Jesus. Well, trusting Jesus isn't something that you did. It's something that you do. This is why it still matters, because we need to trust him. For me, maybe you're like me. Um, I find it really easy to trust Jesus with my eternal life. I've kind of come to grips with this. Um, I've come to grips that there's nothing I can do about it, that Jesus paid for my sacrifice that I couldn't if I wanted to, that I can't work my way into heaven. I trust him because there's nothing I can do about it. But in my day-to-day -day life, yeah, I can do something about that, right? I can live my life. A lot of people do it. I don't need Jesus for that. I'm not trusting him. There's a song that says, uh, I need you, oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. We need him all the time. We need to be trusting him all the time. Do you only do things that you can do in your own power? Or do you do things that you need God for, that you can't do on your own? That's where trust comes in. We need to trust him. Now, I'm not saying... You might have come in tonight, you might have said, my biggest problem is my mortgage. My biggest problem is my job. My biggest problem is my family. My biggest problem is this health problem that I've been dealing with. Now, I'm not telling you that, that if you just trust God, all of those things will go away. 
Now, some of them may. Maybe that's some of your issue. Um, this is what I am saying, though. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts, because he trusts in you. Those other problems that you have, they may, be, they may not go away, but you're going to be much more equipped to deal with them if you trust in Jesus, if you trust him to bring you through them. The biggest problem that they had was that they didn't trust Jesus, and that's where we need to look today. Are we trusting him for our eternal life and for our daily life? Let's close in prayer.